America. My name is Armio Frempong. I come to you live every Thursday about this time. And, you know, we study the civil rights movement, or you're taught the civil rights movement in school young, and you're taught the civil rights movement before you're taught about Jim Crow. And what happens is then you end up reading into um, the pre-civil rights era, the civil rights victory. So you start to think that if you think of Jim Crow at all, you start to think that racial discrimination is about, you know, lunch counters and water fountains and schools in a way that's, you read the victories of the civil rights movement back in as problems of the Jim Crow South. And you have to understand that for, you know, black people lived in the South and black people still disproportionately live in, live in the South, but before the great migration, like, when you're talking about black people, you're talking about the urban areas and you're talking about um, the American South. And that's about it because the Homestead Act didn't agree. <laughs> like back when they were giving out parcels of lands to the whites in the end of the 19th century, the middle of the end of the 19th century, that didn't actually, um, that was uh, racially prohibitive. So black people lived in the South. And if you don't know, you know, Ira Katz Nelson's affirmative action when Affirmative Action Was Right, it's actually a pretty good book about this kind of stuff. Um, you know, 75% of the black workforce was either domestic workers or farm workers. Right. So prior to the Great Migration, 60s, or 40s through 60s, like we were in the South and we worked on either, you know, in white houses or uh, on farmland, like either directly or indirectly for, the, for whites. I mean, there were some people who owned and there were some business districts, but for the most part, 75% of the workers worked for a white boss and we didn't know anything. So we couldn't own anything uh, functionally. So the problem is if you don't study Jim Crow, you think the civil rights movement is about voting, lunch counters, and water fountains. But what it actually, if you look at the, and you read successes with regard to that, as the problems that were uh, to be previously addressed in Jim Crow. But the problems of Jim Crow were um, assault, state-sponsored violence, um, um, wage theft, property theft, uh, the sexual availability of black women. When they went into these white women, they could just be raped. Um, like, and, and if any guy, the annals are, are filled with guys who tried to defend black women and ended up lynched, right? Um, by the way, if you want a good book on that, go to Trouble in Mind by Leon Litwack. It's, I've, you know, I've read, I read books, but it's the best book on Jim Crow that I think I've, I've read because it just it details from both the white and black perspective the, the fascination with keeping black people in their place and all of the manifest ways with which it was done and the b targeting of the black family, the black church, the, um, you know, the, uh, the truth that we couldn't really have assets. We really couldn't have assets up and through the 20th century. We could have the assets that white people didn't want, but as soon as white people wanted their land, wanted your land, they either through legal or through terrorism, they took it. You know, there are pogroms and massacres um, up and down the South because for some reason, like white people were done with black people on a certain plot of land. So they just ran them off. Right. So, um, the inability to build anything and, you know, everybody knows about the Tulsa riot 
or the, the Rosewood riots, or the Wilmington riots, or the Memphis riots, or the New Orleans riots. And just the threat of riots means that black people couldn't actually hold anything um, because um, the riot, these were all riots, but they were all just varieties of race massacres, right? And that's what Jim Crow was about, the inability of black people to actually press their rights with respect to property, with respect to wages, with respect to economic opportunities, with respect to, you know, their physical safety from the cops who use vagrancy laws in order to, you know, suck in black people or poverty laws um, in order to suck in black people and then lease them out as functionally slaves. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton had one of these slaves, had a, a, the Clinton, when Clinton was the governor of Arkansas, um, sometimes I call them trustees, but pretty much you have prison workers who come and do things that like slaves used to do, right? So the deep problem is that it wasn't about, it wasn't about water fountains. It wasn't even about voting necessarily. It was all of these things were the means to get at the bigger problem, which was the targeting of any black social institution that could lead to autonomous power. And autonomous power is going to be power that could negate the wills of the white. You're not autonomous if you can't negate the will of other people who have aspirations on you. Because if you have a plan and they have a plan and their plan involves you and you can't negate their plan, your plan is irrelevant. Part of what it is to be autonomous is to be able to negate the plan. So um, unless you can have, unless you have a, an understanding of Jim Crow, of the property, the wage theft, the vulnerability to legitimate and illegitimate authority, and you know the inability to sustain families because you know, in Trouble in Mind, they talk about how um, the black family got in debt. What happened was they'd have to pull out the kids and put the kids to work. So there is the overdetermination of black even family life because of, of, of economic degradation. And, um, and so unless you understand all of that, you don't really know the civil rights movement. And not only do you not know the civil rights movement, you don't know the failures, the ultimate failures. Because even King died thinking, you know, the movement's ultimately a failure. <laughs> um, and unless you know... I mean, white people were declaring victory because they didn't have to give up anything, right? So unless you actually know Jim Crow, you don't understand the civil rights movement. And if you, and if you read, if you study the civil rights movement without studying Jim Crow, what happens is you read the victories of the civil rights movement as the problems of Jim Crow. And you still don't know why black families have such a hard time right now, why the divorce rate's so high, why the home ownership rate is so low. Right? And if you don't have answers to those kinds of questions, you can't answer the one question that your kid either, either asks or doesn't know how to ask, but notices is that why are black people broke? And why do I get to treat them like garbage? And why is it just assumed that I'm better than them? Like if you're white and you don't have a good answer to that question, you're just raising a racist. Why are black people broke? And if you, can't, if you don't have a good answer as to, to the question of why are black people broke, and that answer doesn't point to the targeting of the community in all of these manifest ways from religion to family to jobs to property assets to uh, physical assault to sexual assault and to terrorism and all of those different spheres, 
then you're just you're, you're raising functionally a racist. And with that, go ahead and let me hit the beat. To the beat, y'all. so once again if you try to study the civil rights movement without studying jim crow first what happens is that you read the victories of the civil rights movement as the problems of jim crow when the problems of jim crow are actually much more general and much more pervasive and they're still with us which is accounts for black cultural degradation and material degradation um and you know the it, you have to point to both the whites material and um and psychological benefit they get from uh maintaining a racial hierarchy but also they just set the system so that even if you don't particularly if you aren't particularly invested in the racial hierarchy fighting it will cost you you know your property values, it'll cost you your jobs, it'll make things harder for you, right? So it, it becomes harder to actually, uh, the rules become the case where treating black people like trash becomes incentivized. So even if you're race neutral, but you're not money neutral, or you're not esteem neutral, money and esteem comes from degrading or gaslighting or somehow um, giving short shift, shift to the justice claims of black americans of the you know tens of millions of black americans in the united states a third of georgia right and if you don't have a answer to the question of why are black people broke why like aren't the family staying together why is the uh, housing so is the um, home ownership rate so low if you don't have a good answer to that question that reaches all the way back to the terrorism the multifaceted like entrenched terrorism of Jim Crow and how that was only partially remediated, uh, um, partially remediated through the civil rights era, then what you're doing is just raising low-key racists and just like perpetuating the same degradation that will make it the case that, you know, the trajectory of black life is not, is not particularly great right now we're trying to change that directory by the way if you appreciate the way i'm changing that directory go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in uh five fifteen and fifty dollars uh five fifteen and fifty dollars a month to keep me kind of doing what i'm doing because you're not going to get the quality of education and insight that you get here in other places right because it doesn't pay nobody gets paid for telling you to study jm crow and don't study the civil rights movement or study the civil rights movement as a partial remediation of Jim Crow, but you need to study Jim Crow. And the book, Trouble in Mind by Leon Litwack, I think is, it's the best one ever. It's, it's stunning um, and readable. And it's readable. Some like deeper texts go into this, but you know, you need pretty, a pretty deep theory brain. Uh, Trouble in Mind is actually just a readable history of Jim Crow. Right, and you just see that these problems are still with us. These problems are still with us. And like I said, it's both the material and psychic um, benefit 
that is delivered by, you know, being able to order black people around and have them not be able to effectively fight back. But it's also when you set the rules that way, then everybody comes to benefit. Even if you just got here, even if you're Caribbean, even if you're black yourself and you just get here, you see the rules. Um, um, uh, give you a bonus for treating black people as a subordinate class, black Americans, black descendants of slaves as a subordinate class. And you see that you get punished for actually, you know, articulating the justice claims. Um, of black Americans. So both the direct psychological benefit and the indirect uh, the indirect, indirect social benefit of treating black people like garbage um, needs to be clarified if we actually get serious about addressing the question, why are black people broke? And why don't their institutions work um, in the way that, you know, why do they have lead in their water? Like, you have to... Um, in a way that actually answers that question. And you can't dodge that question. And you can't, especially you can't dodge that question saying, well, black people aren't broke. You know, some people have it. No, 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 no. Like I said, you, Georgia's a third black. You want to know how much commercial real estate we own? We probably own as much as Ted Turner. It's <laughs> like one dude in Georgia, right? So if you don't, and, if, and this is a market-based society. So if you don't own commercial real estate, how much in the game are you? We can't even rent the commercial real estate because... All right, so here's something you might know. You see a lot of boarded up shops in like some urban areas. Even Athens has, Athens, Georgia has like some boarded up shops. What happens is that one, one old white family owns entire blocks and entire like swaths of commercial property, but they want to keep the rent high and the headaches low. So they'll get one tenant who pays full and can cover the property taxes because they own it. It's been in the family for generations. Who, and since, since the Klan won it, right? At an auction for terrorizing a black family up. Um, so they want to keep the, the potential lease value high. So they only need one tenant who will cover enough profit for the taxes on the rest. And then they can keep the rest boarded up until they find another golden tenant. Right. In a well-ordered world, we would just, you know, talk, talk about some of that inherited commercial wealth and distribute it um, appropriately at like a black auction. But, you know, there are other, um, you know, there are other schemes and just distribute it to uh, members of the community. And, or at least, I mean, you could do this a few ways. You could just raise property taxes so much that they have to force to sell it. Um, and then, but that would still not actually solve the problem unless black people had the money. It would just be other whites who have the money who would buy the commercial property. So what you need to do is, is, is confiscate it and um, confiscate inherited commercial property and then start a process of distributing it to people whose lineage um, can show some sort of degradation. And, you know, Sandy Darity talks about reparations plans along those lines and how a committee would be formed and, and, and all of that. But this is the terms you have to speak in. And if you don't have an answer to that question, if your question, answer to that question doesn't go into Jim Crow um, and the asymmetries that were set up in Jim Crow coming out of a, a, a Reconstruction, the asymmetries in power. So what happened was at the end of Reconstruction, when the North pulled out effectively and just kind of abandoned Southern blacks, you know, most of the blacks to the Klan, then the white administrators made it the case that you couldn't actually have a life without being dependent on whites. 
right? So black land claim didn't mean much. It's what ended up happening is you needed a white master. Like, ev like black people had like a white um, patron, pretty much. You, you, you call him, he was either a boss or the person who owned the farm. Like it, it, in some way or another, uh, black people, they might get to pick their patron in a way that they couldn't before, but black people didn't, weren't able to sustain autonomous property claims uh, against the terrorism of the whites. Because when black people sustained autonomous property claims, the whites would just riot and run them out. Oh, or like, you know, Trouble in Mind has story after story about like black guys getting lynched just because they were too successful <laughs> and getting ideas. Right? They, would, they were simply too successful. They had too much money. So they had to get lynched to send a, um, a message to everybody else that the only way to get along was to work for the whites. Right? So, like, and this is up, in, up into the 20th century. So, you know, you have to understand that this isn't ancient history. And property claims are old. Like, the University of Georgia, where I'm at, is 200 years old, right? So, property claims are old. And the families, the white families who own so much are old. And the white family, like, because their granddaddy, great-granddaddy terrorized, and then the, the property just moved in white circles. Like, through, through white churches and through marriages and through generations in the same lineage, right? But it's all the product of an unjust acquisition of, of terrorism. Um, so... You have to keep that in mind when you think about, when you, when you have to answer the question, why are black people broke? Because we've never been made whole. And we've always, like, been dependent. I can't be the only one, and you can just say this in chat, I can't be the only one who has, whose advocacy for black people has cost them promotions or jobs, or you, you could have been, you could have done better had you just uh, kept your mouth shut and let whoever's in power screw your black neighbor, right? So, um, and sometimes not, not even metaphorically. So, we, have, we had a system, I mean, we currently have a system where it actually costs you to be for making black descendants of slaves whole and benefits you but treating them like a subordinate class. This is why DeSantis over in Florida like dredged up the specter of African-American studies just to kick it, saying that we're not gonna do, we hate a, uh, AP African-American studies. Like it, nobody mentioned it, but Rick DeSantis is like, and by the way, <laughs> screw the Negroes. Um, like, and that's because it pays to be anti-black in a way. It, it, it pays. And, you know, depending on who you talk to, it pays the GOP more than it pays the Dems, but it also pays the Dems. Make no mistake. Raphael Warnock, there's a video of him dodging a question about reparations, which is unfortunate. Um, and we need to understand that that's because he knows, and, you know, what you call it? Um, Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams had to, you know, sanitize her talk because, you know, she knows that it pays to treat black people like garbage or not talk about the specific struggle that follows the lineage of blackness and lineage in general. But 
in, especially in the American South, but just in general, like descendants of slaves. Um, so you have to study, you have to study Jim Crow. You have to study Jim Crow uh, before you study the civil rights movement or in addition to the civil rights movement. And don't let these civil rights leaders tell you the story because they'll only tell you the victories that they won. They won't actually tell you the things where, well, their, their grandkids aren't doing so well. So like you can kind of put it together, right? Um, and you need to study Jim Crow before you can answer the question, why are black people broke? Because, you know, we were targeted. And then they set up the, um, yeah, they set up the structures of dependency so that it's impossible to be autonomous. And once again, to be autonomous means to be able to negate or um, to be able to negate the will of outsiders who would actually impose your will. Hey, which, which, which child of mine is this? Oh, great. Come on. Come, come say hi to the people. People. <laughs> Hi, people. All right, I'm listen. on book seven. She's on book seven, book seven and Wings of Fire. All right, so um, thank you Winter for your turning. time. What's up? Winter turning. Winter turning. All right, uh, thank you for your time. I will see you next week. And bye. <laughs>